This is section eight of Mark Twain's Journal Writings, volume three. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Does the race of man love a lord? By Mark Twain. Read by John Greenman. Often a quite assified remark becomes sanctified by use and petrified by custom. It is then a permanency, its term of activity, a geologic period. The day after the arrival of Prince Henry, I met an English friend, and he rubbed his hands and broke out with a remark that was charged to the brim with joy, joy that was evidently a pleasant salve to an old sore place. Many a time I've had to listen without retort to an old saying that is irritatingly true, and until now seemed to offer no chance for a return jibe. An Englishman does dearly love a lord. But after this I shall talk back and say, How about the Americans? It is a curious thing, the currency that an idiotic saying can get. The man that first says it thinks he has made a discovery. The man he says it to thinks the same. It departs on its travels, is received everywhere with admiring acceptance, and not only as a piece of rare and acute observation, but as being exhaustively true and profoundly wise. And so it presently takes its place in the world's list of recognized and established wisdoms, and after that no one thinks of examining it to see whether it is really entitled to its high honors or not. I call to mind instances of this in two well-established proverbs, whose dullness is not surpassed by the one about the Englishman and his love for a lord. One of them records the American's adoration of the almighty dollar, the other the American millionaire girl's ambition to trade cash for a title, with a husband thrown in. It isn't merely the American that adores the almighty dollar, it is the human race. The human race has always adored the hatful of shells, or the bale of calico, or the half-bushel of brass rings, or the handful of steel fish-hooks, or the houseful of black wives, or the zareba full of cattle or the two-score camels and asses, or the factory, or the farm, or the block of buildings, or the railroad bonds, or the bank stock, or the hoarded cash, or anything that stands for wealth and consideration and independence, and can secure to the possessor that most precious of all things, another man's envy. It was a dull person that invented the idea that the American's devotion to the dollar is more strenuous than another's. Rich American girls do buy titles, but they did not invent that idea. It had been worn threadbare several hundred centuries before America was discovered. European girls still exploit it as briskly as ever, and when a title is not to be had for the money in hand, they buy the husband without it. They must put up the dot, or there is no trade. The commercialization of brides is substantially universal, except in America. It exists with us, to some little extent, 
but in no degree approaching a custom the englishman dearly loves a lord what is the soul and source of his love i think the thing could be more correctly worded the human race dearly envies a lord that is to say it envies the lord's place why on two accounts i think its power and its conspicuousness where conspicuousness carries with it a power which by the light of our own observation and experience we are able to measure and comprehend i think our envy of the possessor is as deep and as passionate as is that of any other nation no one can care less for a lord than the backwoodsman who has had no personal contact with lords and has seldom heard them spoken of but i will not allow that any englishman has a profounder envy of a lord than has the average american who has lived long years in a european capital and fully learned how immense is the position the lord occupies of any ten thousand americans who eagerly gather at vast inconvenience to get a glimpse of prince henry all but a couple of hundred will be there out of an immense curiosity they are burning up with desire to see a personage who is so much talked about they envy him but it is conspicuousness they envy mainly not the power that is lodged in his royal quality and position for they have but a vague and spectral knowledge and appreciation of that through their environment and associations they have been accustomed to regard such things lightly and as not being very real consequently they are not able to value them enough to consumingly envy them but whenever an american or other human being is in the presence for the first time of a combination of great power and conspicuousness which he thoroughly understands and appreciates his eager curiosity and pleasure will be well sodden with that other passion envy whether he suspect it or not at any time on any day in any part of america you can confer a happiness upon any passing stranger by calling his attention to any other passing stranger and saying do you see that gentleman going along there it is mr rockefeller watch his eye it is a combination of power and conspicuousness which the man understands when we understand rank we always like to rub against it when a man is conspicuous we always want to see him also if he will pay us an attention we will manage to remember it also we will mention it now and then casually sometimes to a friend or if a friend is not handy we will make out with a stranger well then what is rank and what is conspicuousness at once we think of kings and aristocracies and of world-wide celebrities in soldierships the arts letters etc and we stop there but that is a mistake rank holds its court and receives its homage on every round of the ladder from the emperor down to the rack-catcher and distinction also exists on every round of the ladder and commands its due of deference and envy 
to worship rank and distinction is the dear and valued privilege of all the human race and it is freely and joyfully exercised in democracies as well as in monarchies and even to some extent among those creatures whom we impertinently call the lower animals for even they have some poor little vanities and foibles though in this matter they are paupers as compared to us a chinese emperor has the worship of his four hundred million of subjects but the rest of the world is indifferent to him a christian emperor has the worship of his subjects and of a large part of the christian world outside of his dominions but he is a matter of indifference to all china a king class a has an extensive worship a king class b has a less extensive worship class c class d class e get a steadily diminishing share of worship class l sultan of zanzibar class p sultan of zulu and class w half king of samoa get no worship at all outside their own little patch of sovereignty take the distinguished people along down each has his group of homage-payers in the navy there are many groups they start with the secretary and the admiral and go down to the quartermaster and below for there will be groups among the sailors and each of these groups will have a tar who is distinguished for his battles or his strength or his daring or his profanity and is admired and envied by his group the same with the army the same with the literary and journalistic craft the publishing craft the cod fishery craft standard oil u s steel the class a hotel and the rest of the alphabet in that line the class a prize-fighter and the rest of the alphabet in his line clear down to the lowest and obscurest six-boy gang of little gamins with its one boy that can trash the rest and to whom he is king of samoa bottom of the royal race but looked up to with a most ardent admiration and envy there is something pathetic and funny and pretty about this human race's fondness for contact with power and distinction and for the reflected glory it gets out of it the king class a is happy in the state banquet and the military show which the emperor provides for him and he goes home and gathers the queen and the princelings around him in the privacy of the spare-room and tells them all about it and says his imperial majesty put his hand on my shoulder in the most friendly way just as friendly and familiar oh you can't imagine it and everybody seeing him do it charming perfectly charming the king class g is happy in the cold collation and the police parade provided for him by the king class b and goes home and tells the family all about it and says and his majesty took me into his own private cabinet for a smoke and a chat and there we sat just as sociable and talking away and laughing and chatting just the same as if we had been born in the same bunk and all the servants in the ante-room could see us doing it oh it was too lovely for anything the king class q is happy in the modest entertainment furnished him by the king class m and goes home and tells the household about it and is as grateful and joyful over it as were his predecessors in the gaudier attentions that had fallen to their larger lot emperors kings artisans peasants big people 
little people at bottom we are all alike and all the same all just alike on the inside and when our clothes are off nobody can tell which of us is which we are unanimous in the pride we take in good and genuine compliments paid us in distinctions conferred upon us in attentions shown us there is not one of us from the emperor down but is made like that do i mean attentions shown us by the great no i mean simply flattering attentions let them come whence they may we despise no source that can pay us a pleasing attention there is no source that is humble enough for that you have heard a dear little girl say to a frowsy and disreputable dog he came right to me and let me pat him on the head and he wouldn't let the others touch him and you have seen her eyes dance with pride in that high distinction you have often seen that if the child were a princess would that random dog be able to confer the like glory upon her with his pretty compliment yes and even in her mature life and seated upon a throne she would still remember it still remark it still speak of it with frank satisfaction that charming and lovable german princess and poet carmen silva queen of romania remembers yet that the flowers of the woods and fields talked to her when she was a girl and she sets it down in her latest book and that the squirrels conferred upon her and her father the valued compliment of not being afraid of them and once one of them holding a nut between its sharp little teeth ran right up against my father it has the very note of he came right to me and let me pat him on the head and when it saw itself reflected in his boot it was very much surprised and stopped for a long time to contemplate itself in the polished leather then it went its way and the birds she still remembers with pride that they came boldly into my room when she had neglected her duty and put no food on the window-sill for them she knew all the wild birds and forgets the royal crown on her head to remember with pride that they knew her also that the wasp and the bee were personal friends of hers and never forgot that gracious relationship to her injury never have i been stung by a wasp or a bee and here is that proud note again that sings in that little girl's elation in being singled out among all the company of children for the random dog's honor-conferring attentions even in the worst summer for wasps when in lunching out of doors our table was covered with them and every one else was stung they never hurt me when a queen whose qualities of mind and heart and character are able to add distinction to so distinguished a place as a throne remembers with grateful exultation after thirty years honors and distinctions conferred upon her by the humble wild creatures of the forest we are helped to realize that complimentary attentions homage distinctions are of no caste but are above all caste that they are a nobility conferring power apart we all like these things 
when the gate-guard at the railway station passes me through unchallenged and examines other people's tickets i feel as the king class a felt when the emperor put the imperial hand on his shoulder everybody seeing him do it and as the child felt when the random dog allowed her to pat his head and ostracize the others and as the princess felt when the wasp spared her and stung the rest and i felt just so four years ago in vienna and remember it yet when the helmeted police shut me off with fifty others from a street which the emperor was to pass through and the captain of the squad turned and saw the situation and said indignantly to that guard can't you see it is the heir mark twain let him through it was four years ago but it will be four hundred before i forget the wind of self-complacency that rose in me and strained my buttons when i marked the deference for me evoked in the faces of my fellow rabble and noted mingled with it a puzzled and resentful expression which said as plainly as speech could have worded it and who in the nation is the heir mark twain um gottes willen how many times in your life have you heard this boastful remark i stood as close to him as i am to you i could have put out my hand and touched him we have all heard it many and many a time it was a proud distinction to be able to say those words it brought envy to the speaker a kind of glory and he basked in it and was happy through all his veins and who was it he stood so close to the answer would cover all the grades sometimes it was a king sometimes it was a renowned highwayman sometimes it was an unknown man killed in an extraordinary way and made suddenly famous by it always it was a person who was for the moment the subject of public interest the public interest of a nation maybe only the public interest of a village i was there and i saw it myself that is a common and envy-compelling remark it can refer to a battle to a hanging to a coronation to the killing of jumbo by the railway train to the arrival of jenny lind at the battery to the meeting of the president and prince henry to the chase of a murderous maniac to the disaster in the tunnel to the explosion in the subway to a remarkable dog-fight to a village church struck by lightning it will be said more or less casually by everybody in america who has seen prince henry do anything or try to the man who was absent and didn't see him do anything will scoff it is his privilege and he can make capital out of it too he will seem even to himself to be different from other americans and better as his opinion of his superior americanism grows and swells and concentrates and coagulates he will go further and try to belittle the distinction of those that saw the prince do things and will spoil their pleasure in it if he can my life has been embittered by that kind of persons if you are able to tell of a special distinction that has fallen to your lot it gravels them they cannot bear it and they try to make believe that the thing you took for a special distinction was nothing of the kind and was meant in quite another way once i was received in private audience by an emperor 
last week i was telling a jealous person about it and i could see him wince under it see it bite see him suffer i revealed the whole episode to him with considerable elaboration and nice attention to detail when i was through he asked me what had impressed me most i said his majesty's delicacy they told me to be sure and back out from the presence and find the doorknob as best i could it was not allowable to face around now the emperor knew it would be a difficult ordeal for me because of lack of practice and so when it was time to part he turned with exceeding delicacy and pretended to fumble with things on his desk so that i could get out in my own way without his seeing me it went home it was vitriol i saw the envy and disgruntlement rise in the man's face he couldn't keep it down i saw him trying to fix up something in his mind to take the bloom off that distinction i enjoyed that for i judged that he had his work cut out for him he struggled along inwardly for quite a while then he said with the manner of a person who has to say something and hasn't anything relevant to say you said he had a handful of special brand cigars lying on the table yes i never saw anything to match them i had him again he had to fumble around in his mind as much as another minute before he could play then he said in as mean a way as i ever heard a person say anything he could have been counting the cigars you know i cannot endure a man like that it is nothing to him how unkind he is so long as he takes the bloom off it is all he cares for an englishman or other human being does dearly love a lord or other conspicuous person it includes us all we love to be noticed by the conspicuous person we love to be associated with such or with a conspicuous event even in a seventh-rate fashion even in a forty-seventh if we cannot do better this accounts for some of our curious tastes in mementos it accounts for the large private trade in the prince of wales hair which chambermaids were able to drive in that article of commerce when the prince made the tour of the world in the long ago hair which probably did not always come from his brush since enough of it was marketed to refurnish a bald comet it accounts for the fact that the rope which lynches a negro in the presence of ten thousand christian spectators is saleable five minutes later at two dollars an inch it accounts for the mournful fact that a royal personage does not venture to wear buttons on his coat in public we do love a lord and by that term i mean any person whose situation is higher than our own the lord of a group for instance a group of peers a group of millionaires a group of hoodlums a group of sailors a group of newsboys a group of saloon politicians a group of college girls no royal person has ever been the object of a more delirious loyalty and slavish adoration than is paid by the vast tammany herd to its squalid idol of wantage there is not a bifurcated animal in that menagerie that would not be proud to appear in a newspaper picture in his company at the same time there are some in that organization 
who would scoff at the people who have been daily pictured in company with prince henry and would say vigorously that they would not consent to be photographed with him a statement which would not be true in any instance there are hundreds of people in america who would frankly say to you that they would not be proud to be photographed in a group with a prince if invited and some of these unthinking people would believe it when they said it yet in no instance would it be true we have a large population but we have not a large enough one by several millions to furnish that man he has not yet been begotten and in fact he is not begettable you may take any of the printed groups and there isn't a person in it who isn't visibly glad to be there there isn't a person in the dim background who isn't visibly trying to be vivid if it is a crowd of ten thousand ten thousand proud untamed democrats horny-handed sons of toil and of politics and flyers of the eagle there isn't one who isn't conscious of the camera there isn't one who is trying to keep out of range there isn't one who isn't plainly meditating a purchase of the paper in the morning with the intention of hunting himself out in the picture and of framing and keeping it if he shall find so much of his person in it as his starboard ear we all love to get some of the drippings of conspicuousness and we will put up with a single humble drip if we can't get any more we may pretend otherwise in conversation but we can't pretend it to ourselves privately and we don't we do confess in public that we are the noblest work of god being moved to it by long habit and teaching and superstition but deep down in the secret places of our souls we recognize that if we are the noblest work the less said about it the better we of the north poke fun at the south for its fondness for titles a fondness for titles pure and simple regardless of whether they are genuine or pinchbeck we forget that whatever a southerner likes the rest of the human race likes and that there is no law of predilection lodged in one people that is absent from another people there is no variety in the human race we are all children all children of the one adam and we love toys we can soon acquire that southern disease if someone will give it a start it already has a start in fact i have been personally acquainted with over eighty-four thousand persons who at one time or another in their lives have served for a year or two on the staffs of our multitudinous governors and through that fatality have been generals temporarily and colonels temporarily and judge advocates temporarily but i have known only nine among them who could be hired to let the title go when it ceased to be legitimate i know thousands and thousands of governors who ceased to be governors away back in the last century but i am acquainted with only three who would answer your letter if you failed to call them governor in it i know acres and acres of men who have done time in a legislature in prehistoric days but among them is not half an acre whose resentment you would not raise if you addressed them as mr instead of honorable the first thing a legislature does is to convene in an impressive legislative attitude and get itself photographed each member frames his copy and takes it to the woods and 
hangs it up in the most aggressively conspicuous place in his house. And if you visit the house and fail to inquire what that accumulation is, the conversation will be brought around to it by that aforetime legislator, and he will show you a figure in it which in the course of years he has almost obliterated with the smut of his finger-marks, and say with a solemn joy, It's me. Have you ever seen a country congressman enter the hotel breakfast-room in Washington with his letters, and sit at his table and let on to read them, and wrinkle his brows and frown statesmanlike, keeping a furtive watch-out over his glasses all the while to see if he is being observed and admired? those same old letters which he fetches in every morning? Have you seen it? Have you seen him show off? It is the sight of the national capital, except one, a pathetic one. That is the ex-congressman, the poor fellow whose life has been ruined by a two-year taste of glory and of fictitious consequence, who has been superseded, and ought to take his heartbreak home and hide it, but cannot tear himself away from the scene of his lost little grandeur, and so he lingers, and still lingers, year after year, unconsidered, sometimes snubbed, ashamed of his fallen estate, and valiantly trying to look otherwise, dreary and depressed, but counterfeiting breeziness and gaiety, hailing with chummy familiarity, which is not always welcomed, the more fortunates who are still in place and were once his mates. Have you seen him? He clings piteously to the one little shred that is left of his departed distinction, the privilege of the floor, and works it hard and gets what he can out of it. That is the saddest figure I know of. Yes, we do so love our little distinctions, and then we loftily scoff at a prince for enjoying his larger ones forgetting that if we only had his chance, ah, senator is not a legitimate title. A senator has no more right to be addressed by it than have you or I. But in the several state capitals and in Washington there are five thousand senators who take very kindly to that fiction, and who purr gratefully when you call them by it, which you may do quite unrebuked. Then those same senators smile at the self-constructed majors and generals and judges of the South. Indeed, we do love our distinctions, get them how we may, and we work them for all they are worth. In prayer we call ourselves worms of the dust, but it is only on a sort of tacit understanding that the remark shall not be taken at par. We, worms of the dust, Oh, no, we are not that, except in fact. And we do not deal much in fact when we are contemplating ourselves. As a race, we do certainly love a lord, let him be Crocker, or Duke, or a prize-fighter, or whatever other personage shall chance to be the head of our group. Many years ago I saw a greasy youth in overall standing by the Herald office, with an expectant look in his face. Soon a large man passed out and gave him a pat on the shoulder. That was what the boy was waiting for, the large man's notice. The pat made him proud and happy, and the exultation inside of him shone out through his eyes. And his mates were there to see the pat, 
and envy it and wish they could have that glory the boy belonged down cellar in the press-room the large man was king of the upper floors foreman of the composing-room the light in the boy's face was worship the foreman was his lord head of his group the pat was an accolade it was as precious to the boy as it would have been if he had been an aristocrat's son and the accolade had been delivered by his sovereign with a sword the quintessence of the honor was all there there was no difference in values in truth there was no difference present except an artificial one clothes all the human race loves a lord that is it loves to look upon or be noticed by the possessor of power or conspicuousness and sometimes animals born to be better things and higher ideals descend to man's level in this matter in the jardin des plantes i have seen a cat that was so vain of being the personal friend of an elephant that i was ashamed of her End of Does the Race of Man Love a Lord by Mark Twain End of Mark Twain's Journal Writings, Volume 3 Read by John Greenman